We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Where am I? I thought the beer store was on this block. Better check my phone. Hey, Maps, give me directions to the beer store. Your destination is 700 feet ahead on the right. Okay, thank you. But don't settle for any beer this Oktoberfest. Make sure to get Polliner, the number one selling beer at Munich's Oktoberfest. Polliner's beers are the perfect way to bring authentic German celebration into your home. Um, great. That's more information than I needed, but I... And this Oktoberfest, make sure to follow the liter. Excuse me? Follow the liter? No, follow the liter, as in the Polliner liter glass, like they drink in Munich. When you follow the liter across the country and identify the cities where the Polliner liter is at, you could win Oktoberfest prizes, including a kegerator. Okay, Maps, how do I follow the leader? Check out Polliner USA on Instagram and look for the follow the leader posts. Correct answers in the comments are how you enter. Okay, simple enough. Oh, another question. Is this conversation covered in my data plan? Polliner USA, White Plains, New York. No purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 21 or older, excluding West Virginia. And 102420. Void where prohibited. For rules, see polliner.us forward slash rules. Hashtag beer goals. Hey, Bruce, ever since we've podcast together and talk about mixed martial arts, I've had listeners hit me up, friends, family, say, you know, hey, who's going to win this fight? Who should I put my money on? And I know for a fact you get the same questions and you answer the same way every time. You don't exactly say who people should put their money on. But you do have a place where all of our listeners can go and lay down some cash and do it in the best way possible. you got to check out a place called MyBookie.com. See, here's a key thing, TJ. Whatever you're betting, it's just as important as to know who you're betting with. Right. That's why I always tell people to bet with MyBookie. And trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. Here's the key reasons, TJ. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online when I check them out. And their mobile site is easy to use. You lay down some cash, and hopefully you win big today. I was talking about fights, but my bookie is not just a fight bookie. It's, uh, you know, there for the NFL, baseball, uh, everything from top to bottom. This is a full-service online bookie. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win. Believe me. <sighs> Sorry I'm late, everyone. It's all right. The meeting's just getting started. Are you in your closet? Yeah, it's the quietest place. <laughs> ah, not the roomiest, though. Getting closer with your closet these days? That a uh, dinosaur costume behind you? What? No. <laughs> The Container Store's custom closet sale is here to help with up to 25% off closet systems and free virtual in-home closet design. Who wants Sean to put on the dino suit? Really, guys? The Container Store, where space comes from. They pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you guys that like fantasy out there, mm -hmm. you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player is going to score each game. That's huge. And I think we got a little bit of a, a deal going on with uh, my bookie that if our listeners go over there and use the promo code buffer upon uh, their first deposit, we will match their initial deposit dollar for dollar. Exactly. So when you go to mybookie.com, use promo code buffer, all in capitals, B-U-F-F-E-R, to activate that offer. So visit my bookie online today. That's my bookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, 
And don't forget to use the promo code BUFFER when creating your account to claim the bonus. It's real simple. Here it is. You play, you win, you get paid. It's time! With Bruce Buffer. And now, it's time for the voice of mixed martial arts. We are it's Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer. From the shores of Malibu where the waves are pumping, to the Great Wall of China, and back to the streets of Las Vegas, Nevada, where the UFC is coming, we are live. This is It's Time Radio, the show where we talk about what you think about but may be afraid to voice. Do not worry. We will voice it for you. We talk about everything on It's Time. We talk about politics, President Trump, movies, sex, drugs, rock and roll, sports, UFC. Everything's talked about here because this is No Holds Barred Radio, folks. That's what it is, NHB. And we have a show today that's No Holds Barred that I think you're very much going to appreciate when we get into it. And without any further ado, I'm here with my co-host, TJ DeSantis. TJ, I'm very excited about the show, very excited about our guests and the story that's going to be told. And how are you? I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks, but we're back in uh, business. Yeah, no, I'm great. Uh, I, I've said this a few times, and every single time I've had the luxury of chatting with your guest, Eric Day, I've said that he is the most compelling and intriguing interview that I have ever come across in, in nearly 20 years in this business. And... Uh, when you said that we were going to have him on the show this week, uh, I was super excited. So uh, sorry to step on your intro of the man, but but it's true. This is a, a show that uh, I'm sure is going to be one not to miss. Uh, it's, it's definitely one not to miss. And um, before we bring Eric on, I want to give a little insight into uh, my friendship with Eric. For those listeners we have internationally, my special guest this week is Eric Auday. Fascinating man in many, many different ways. A man who I consider a friend. Uh, we're fellow poker players together, basically how we met and became friends. He's a stuntman. Uh, he's a man of many, many, many chapters and channels in his life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Eric is releasing the new documentary feature, which is based on his life. It's called Three Years in Pakistan, The Eric Ade Story by Jameline Lipton, Lipman, excuse me. And basically this tale, uh, or shall we say movie documentary, however you care to look at it, uh, recounts a story of a young man's journey from being an aspiring Hollywood actor and stuntman to his incarceration on death row in one of the most dangerous prisons in the world for a crime he didn't commit. So this is at the age of 21 years old, and we're going to get into it. Let's bring him on, my very special guest and friend, Eric Auday. Eric, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for, Thank you so much for having me this morning. It's my pleasure, Eric. You know, I've known you for years. We played poker. Uh, you know, we're martial artists, uh, you're a stuntman. I mean, you do so many different things that we do have in common. Me, not a stuntman, of course. <laughs> but um, with that being said, I had no idea about what we're about to talk about until you came to me a couple months ago and told me you were releasing your documentary. This is a sign of you as an individual and a human being because you're not one of these blowhards that's up there telling your stories, you know, over a beer to everybody that you come in contact with. And I always come from the school that those that talk don't do and those that do don't talk. And you're perfectly an example of this. And I got to tell you, I finished watching your documentary this morning. I watched it last night. I watched the last half hour this morning because you said it would be compelling that last half hour. And I'm deeply affected, Eric, deeply affected for a lot of reasons. So with this being said, I want you to talk. Um, but let me give one little bit of insight. And then you go into 
what your story is about, if you would kindly. If I have it correctly, you're basically 21 years old, up-and-coming actor and stuntman, but unwittingly and unknowingly, you became a pawn in an international drug scheme. And you were hired to transport luxury leather goods for sale abroad, but you weren't aware that you were carrying a bomb, as you put it in your in your bio here, a ticking time bomb. But you were carrying 3.6 kilos of opium that had been sewn into the lining of your suitcase where you were caught by authorities at the Islamabad airport. Um, with that being said, starting off the thing, you can take it from there, Eric. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. Um, well, Jim, I'm glad you took the time to, to watch the documentary. It's called Three Years in Pakistan, the Eric Day story, and it, and it started airing. People can, can absolutely go on their smart TV and, and order it today. But uh, a little bit more about it. When I was, um, I was, when I was 19, I, I, I met a man at a, a world gym in Burbank. It was a gym that I was a personal trainer at. Even though I was doing stunts and acting, work wasn't full-time, so I had to take part-time jobs or jobs at night to keep my days free for auditions and, and work and whatnot. And, one of my, and, and my job was a nighttime manager slash trainer at the gym in, uh, in Burbank called World Gym. One of my clients was a man, a very successful Armenian businessman. His name was uh, Ray Gazarian, or that's how he uh, – I was introduced to him, actually, by uh, several other gym members who were working for this man. This, this, this man was, was very flashy. He drove very nice cars. He was very nice, though. He's very nice, very friendly, and he would, would rec- recruit young adults, late teens, to travel around the world for him ex- importing expensive leather samples and he paid them now the reason why he wasn't having it shipped back was because there's apparently a 55 percent import tax back into the u.s so he was saving a lot of money by sending young individuals to travel around the world claiming the leather goods as their own clothing to beat the import tax those people would get a, a free trip and make 800 bucks spending cash and to me this sounded like a dream job it sounded too good to be true. And I asked a lot of questions. I, I told my family. I told my mother. My mother had a FBI friend of hers uh, come and talk to me about it. And when he told me that this happens all the time, people import rugs and jewelry, and I asked him, is it illegal? He's like, eh, it's like a moral – it's like a, a moral legal, like a jaywalking ticket is exactly how he described it. I said, so no one will go to jail? He says, no, you'll get like a fine maybe or they'll just confiscate all the, the leather goods. And with my, my mom not knowing it, my mom's FBI friend was literally the reason why I uh, I thought to myself, oh, this sounds this sounds great. But I never went right away. I was still I was still hesitant on going to another country because originally the trips were to Turkey, which was still at the time a Muslim country. And me never having traveled outside of the U.S., I thought to myself, this is a dangerous place, you know, because I, you know, you you only see what you see on the news. The news doesn't tell you the good things; they only tell you the bad things. And uh, this is this is back in the late '90s, and I'm thinking, all right, well, Turkey Turkey's a Muslim country. I, I even though I was convinced I wanted to eventually go, I, I still never pulled the trigger and went. What finally did it was literally nine months after knowing this man, literally nine months after knowing this man, it was December. My girlfriend at the time had broken up with me and my demeanor had changed at the gym. You know, I was sad. You know, when you break up with someone you're in love with, you get you get you get sad. It's just the way it is. And Ray absolutely knew that something was wrong with me. He goes, hey, what happened? And him being my friend, I tell him I confide in him. And he, he literally says to me, I think it's time for you to make a trip for me. And less than a week later, I was on my first trip to Turkey. 
and it was everything I needed. It was a, it was a, it was a dream. It was a dream thing. The first time I've ever left the country, first of all, and then I met people on the plane. I, uh, I, I talked to everybody, you know, and I, and I met a, a, a pretty Turkish girl on, on the plane and she introduced me to her family and they, they made sure that I experienced Turkey in such a great, uh, great way. Her, her aunt who she was visiting there called my hotel and made sure that uh, I was going and and, uh, and seeing the city, seeing the sites, the different mosques, the bazaars, and they they wanted to make sure that I wasn't just wait you know do, wasting my time. Like they wanted me to see the, the beauties of that country. And even the day before I left Turkey to go to Stockholm, they had me. They invited me over to to to, to their house, which overlooked the the bridge that connects both Asia and Europe together. And it was just such a great experience. Like I felt. Felt worldly. I felt traveled, and here I was, you know. Uh, here I was, a young, uh, a young, a young man, and I never, I never experienced anything. But I just felt like my whole, I just felt great, you know. It was everything I needed. I mean, a few days before, I was depressed because I, I my girlfriend had broken up with me, and now a few days later, I'm in another country and and, and living the dream. And I, I was, it, this stuff doesn't happen, you know. You, you hear about it, but it was happening to me, and it was everything I needed. Well, on the way back, um, I go to uh, I go to Turkey. Or sorry, sorry, I leave Turkey with uh, Ray's contacts. And, and let me go back a little bit. Ray's contacts met me at the hotels. They told they they had me go through the the suitcases that they brought. And they, each suitcase was just filled with leather clothing, jackets, skirts, pants, wallets. And I had to go through everything, make sure it wasn't ripped, make sure it wasn't uh, uh, like buttons weren't missing. I had to grade everything, and then. Uh, um, and make sure it was all accountable for like, they didn't just say like, Oh, here's going to be some stuff. And then you go, no, like they gave me a manifest of, of what was going to be there. And I had to mark it down. I had to put, put the grade on it, make sure it was, uh, as make sure, God, I'm not trying to over explain it, but I'm also not trying to under explain it. Just make sure everything's in great condition. So everything seems, it seems great. And I go to Turkey, uh, I go to Sweden. Sweden was, um, was a, was a trip I got to. Uh, country I got to go to just on the way back, and I don't know if you, if people travel a lot. I travel a lot now, and the cheap the cheapest tickets usually have long layovers. Well, the layovers w- were in different countries, and Sweden was an absolutely beautiful country. I had my first threesome in Sweden. It was amazing. You know, you can't <laughs> a trip a trip a trip can't get any better than that. Than when you're hooking up with a couple beautiful blonde Swedish ladies. That's just something better than that. Some things are memorable in life. Yes. <laughs> so. Who, how am I not going to encourage this trip to other people when I'm, you know, hooking up with beautiful Swedish women and coming back in, into America a couple weeks later and just, just so happy, so full of life. And Ray meets me at the airport, brings me back to my house that I, that I was staying at, or my, my apartment in Glendale, and tells me, hey, how was your trip? And it was everything I needed, absolutely everything I needed. Well, he wanted me to go on a trip the very next month, but I was filming the movie Dude, Where's My Car? Um, and uh, I was working too much, and I, I was always busy. Whenever he would ask me, hey, you know, can you go on another trip? I, I said I can't because I was either doing a TV show or something else. So I didn't want to lose these opportunities. And what I was doing was I was encouraging them to everyone else because I saw a great thing. You see a great thing, you're excited about it. You want everyone else to share it, you know? So I was encouraging it to my family, my friends my mother, my brothers, but, and, and, and not just that, but the other people at the gym, a lot of people would come into the gym, you know, a lot of people had already made these trips, but other people 
who hadn't made these trips yet, I was encouraging it to it. Like, hey, yeah, I went to I went to Turkey, I went to Sweden, I had a threesome. You can't go wrong with that. So a lot of people were making these trips because of my recommendation. I felt so sure that this was such a legit job. Well, I go again in uh, roughly six months later in 2001, and it's June, and, and same thing, Turkey, and I feel more confident. I, I know I go and see a bunch of different things. I go and see the family that I that I had met the first time. Again, I come back through Sweden. This time it's summer, so the sun's up at two in the morning, up straight up in the air, and it's just crazy because this stuff doesn't happen in America. We don't see the sun up at the at two in the morning ever. And I come back, and and everything's wonderful. Well. 9-11 happens, and no one wants to make a trip again. No one. Um, Ray keeps asking me to go. He keeps asking me to go. But I'm reoccurring on four different TV shows at this time. I'm reoccurring on the Olsen Twins show, uh, the show Reba, show called uh, That's Life, and the Andy Dick show. And I'm also finishing the movie Scorpion King, and I have a, a pilot that I'm, I'm going to start doing. Like, I'm really making steps in Hollywood. Like, where my I have a great agent at the time, a man named uh, Richard Castleberry. And he's getting me out for like auditions two, three, sometimes four times a day, not just like a week or whatever. I mean, a day. And I'm going to all the all the meetings I need to. I was finally able to quit my job, uh, the the previous um, like uh, the previous earlier that year at the gym. And so I was working and supporting myself as an actor stuntman full time. Everything was going great in my life, wonderful in my life. Well, nine eleven happens. No one wants to go on any trips. My older brother, I'm the youngest of six boys, but my older brother, Peter, at the time, he was doing terrible in life. He was, a, um, I mean, I, I, it, it's kind of, I mean, he was an alcoholic and he, he had just been fired from, I, he had just been fired from several jobs and to, to him, $800 would have been, you know, a, life changing for him because he hadn't had any money, any work. He was living on our, our other brother, Dave's couch. So he approaches me and says, hey, man, I could really use a trip. Uh, I'd love $800. So I set him up with Ray. I think nothing more of it because I'm doing my own thing and I'm, I'm busy. I'd already moved to Chatsworth by this time. or Sorry, Canoga Park by this time. I'm, I'm uh, roommates now with, a, with another stuntman actor. And Ray gives me a call and says, hey, your, uh, your brother says he's not going. I go, what? He goes, yeah, he's, he's backing out. You got to talk to him, man. I'm going to lose a lot of money. So I call Peter and I say, Peter, what's, what's happening? Peter tells me, Hey, I am not going. He doesn't even give me a reason. He just says, I'm not going. And I'm like, you're making me look really bad, man. I vouch for you. And you, you, what's the big deal? He's like, yeah, I'm not going. It's dangerous over there. I go, no, Turkey's a great country. You'll love it, man. He goes, it's not to Turkey. It's to Pakistan. And this is the first I'm hearing of Pakistan. This is this is February 5th or February 4th that I'm hearing about this. And I, and, and I'm confused. I'm very confused. Cause this is, this is, uh, why would the hell, why the hell would anyone want to go to Pakistan? So I, I say to Peter, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make sense. I'm, I can't vouch for Pakistan. I can vouch for Turkey. I can vouch for Sweden, but I can't vouch for Pakistan. So I call Ray and I go, Ray, well, you never told me it was that. What is this shit about it being in Pakistan? He says, well, because of the, um, because of the war, that uh, because of all the uh, chaos that's going on over there, I'm getting really good deals on on leather goods. I'm like, well, good. If you're getting good deals, then you can FedEx it all back. There's no reason to send anyone over there. That makes no sense. He says, Eric, when before you went to Turkey, weren't you hesitant? Weren't you scared of everything that was going to happen over there? I go, of course. And uh, he goes, and nothing happened. You had a great time, right? And, and he knew I had a great time because I told him everything I did. So he 
was using how amazing Turkey and Sweden was to sell me on on Pakistan. Well, I told him Peter's not going to go, and Ray made me he made me feel really bad that I had vouched for my brother Peter. He had made all these arrangements, and then out of nowhere, Peter's not going to go. And then, you know, I, I felt caught. I felt caught and obligated to not let him down. You know, I was upset that he didn't tell me it was a Pakistan because I don't. I know I wanted to encourage anyone to go, but also. I felt bad though because I did vouch for my brother and no, you, you know what? Excuse me, Eric. It's like you felt obligated. You felt obligated. You felt like yes. you had to fulfill something, so you go over the strange turn of events that, that you're explaining. The one trip after multiple trips, the one trip you select for your brother is—I don't want to call it the death trip, but it's the trip of all trips that you should never have taken, and you wound up taking it. It's almost like standing at that fork in the road and turning left instead of right, and you turned left. You know? Yes. It's it's yeah. just. It's it's one of those turns that change your life completely. So when you went on this trip, you landed, and as soon as you landed, tell us what happened. As soon as I landed, uh, well, I met a girl uh, on the plane. I'm I'm really good at meeting girls. <laughs> I've never had a problem with that. I know that. I know that, Eric. I'll vouch for that. It's all good. I, <laughs> you're a great you're a great wingman. There's no question. Yeah, I mean, it, it's <clears throat> girls love a guy that, that 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 doesn't mind making fun of themselves, and I'm the best at making fun of myself. Um, so I meet a girl on the on the connecting flight from uh, U of A to to Islamabad. Her name is uh, Sadef Sadiq, and the only reason I ever remember this name is because I was like, "Oh, Sadiq, like you're sawing someone's dick off." And this girl thinks it's hysterical because she's never heard her last name described that way before. Well, on the plane, we're like making out on this on this little couple hour flight under the blankets, and before we land, this girl goes to the back to the restroom to change, and she comes out in full burqa. I'm laughing because I can't even see. I can only see her eyes now. She's in full burqa. Wow. And I'm like, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And when we get off, get out, got, uh, get off the plane, it's freezing cold. It's February. I thought, you know, this is how stupid I am. I, I figured Pakistan is a desert and it'll be hot. No, it was cold. And I was, un, I was underdressed for the, uh, for the weather there. We go into the airport. I'm trying to talk to this girl still, but she says, you can't. You can't talk to me here. It doesn't work that way. And she's acting and she's ignoring me now. And I'm like, that's kind of messed up. But we had exchanged emails on the plane. I go and I get my luggage. I, I, I try to give this girl a hug, but that's not a, that's not allowed. I look like a complete jackass, but I'm standing out in this country. It's a complete culture shock. There are no other friendly faces. Like, you know, when you go through other airports, you see foreigners from all the different countries. I don't see any other foreigners here in Islamabad airport. I just see just me. And I'm sure they were there, but I didn't see them. Um, I come walking out of the terminal, and there's these two guys, both Pakistani, but they have American accents, and they're holding a napkin with my name on it. And they tell me Ray mess Ray messed up. I go, what do you mean he messed up? He goes, you were supposed to come to Karachi. And I go, well, where's that? They said that's an eight-hour drive south. And I go, okay. And they said, well, so we're going to go to Karachi. We're going to drop you off at a at a hotel, and then we'll be back in five days. And I said, can I just go with you? They're like, no, you'll be fine. They didn't want me to go with them, but I didn't want to, you know, I was told that was one of the conditions of going to Pakistan is that Ray's contacts were going to hang out with me, show me a good time. And now I'm being told they're just going to drop me off and come back in five days. It was a Monday when I landed. They're not going to come back till Friday. So that sucks, in my opinion. They take me to this road. Sorry, they take me to this uh, little hotel. And well, it wasn't little. It was like five stories. Um, but everything's really dirty, like really dirty over there. And 
as I'm being led up to whatever floor I was on, I could see that some of the some of the rooms that were open, there were no beds. It was just a bunch of people sleeping on mats. I'm like, this isn't a hotel. It's a homeless shelter. And they bring me to a room that does have a bed, but there's no squat toilet. or There's no toilet. It's a damn squat toilet. This is the first time I've ever seen a squat toilet, by the way. And I'm like, this is, I said, what the hell is this place? And they said, uh, this is, this is called the squat toilet. I'm like, what do you do there? They're like, you squat. I said, what if I got to take a shit? They're like, well, you go right there. And I said, I'll go all over my shoes. They're like, no, you won't. I'm like, let me use your shoes. And it's, it's just a bad situation. I'm really not liking being in Pakistan from the get go. Now, Ray also told me that these guys would give me spending money. And before these guys go, go to leave, they tell me, don't leave the airport. And they're talking about a guy named Daniel Pearl at the time. Daniel Pearl had just been kidnapped literally like the day before I got there. And I don't know who this is because I I don't watch the news at the time. At the time, I was definitely as ignorant and naive as could, as could be. I should not be in this country. I'm the last person who should have ever been in this country because I don't know any better. I'm an idiot. But... They're telling me don't leave uh, the the hotel because Daniel Pearl just got kidnapped. This part of the world hates Westerners. They're telling me this now. They should have told me this back in California, but I'm hearing all this bad stuff now. And the and the when, when they told you that in the film, you went out for a jog that night, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. It, and you right, right before I went out for a jog, these guys were supposed to give me. Um, couple hundred bucks in rupees they gave me a thousand rupees to come to find out later that's like 17 dollars. so i have to be, i'm on a budget i don't have the currency to change and when they tell me don't leave the don't leave the the hotel the second these guys leave i go for a jog around the streets of the of islamabad i find an internet cafe uh and i email that girl that that i met on the plane Tell her where I'm at. On the way back, I see a couple cute uh, Pakistani girls. Even though they're in burqas, they're showing their face. And, and a smile goes a long way. And these girls are flirting with me, even though they don't speak a lick of English. I don't speak a lick of Urdu, which is the Pakistani language. And I don't know if it's an uncle, a brother, a cousin. But someone gets really upset, starts shoving me. I go to walk away, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, walk, I'm leaving. I'm obviously leaving. And this guy's following me down the, the street. And he keeps pushing me. Finally, I had enough, and I bent his wrist back. And the whole crowd was on this dude's side. They were they were pissed off at me for, for putting my hands on someone who had been putting my his hands on me all the way down the street. Well, the problem with that is I dropped my bag when I had uh, uh, when I was bending this dude's wrist. So, and then someone grabbed my bag, and the only one near me was this little old lady in a burqa, not making eye contact with me. And that let me know she probably had, she most likely had my bag under that burqa. But I'm not gonna wasn't about to mess with her there. So my first day in Pakistan, I got assaulted and I got robbed. Um, I go back to the hotel and I'm pissed off, but there's a message for me in my room. The girl got my email already and already contacted the hotel, left a message. So I'm like, all right, here's a friendly face. I call her and she, uh, she, she makes arrangements with the concierge to tell the taxi driver where to bring me. Uh, so I get in a taxi and go for like a two hour drive. She was far. She was really far. And I'm thinking, I'm oh, great. I'm going to get kidnapped, but I'm not scared. I'm just like, I'm just glad that I got something to do and there's going to be a friendly face to get to it's nighttime i get to her house and there's like all these kids in front of her house and 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 the way the houses are built in pakistan they all have walls between the houses but they don't just have walls they have like broken glass uh cemented into the tops of the walls and barbed wire fence separating just everyday neighbor properties and i said it's not like i said you are your neighbors that bad and the girl tells me you have no idea but there was all these kids that are 
at her house. It was all the kids from the neighborhood but because she had told everyone that I was an actor and they were all excited to meet an actor from uh, from America. So here I think I'm going to hang out with this pretty girl. And next thing I know, I'm being introduced to her four brothers. And these guys, they're trying to be nice. They all got British accents, and, they, and they, but they're all sporting these beards. They're, they're ranging in ages from 24 to 14. And there's four of them. I asked her, I go, what, what's going on? She's like, yeah, well, I told my brothers about you, and they're going to hang out with you instead. And I'm like, but I came to hang out with you, not your brothers. And she's like, I'm sorry. Uh, like, she didn't plan on this happening either. But, well, all right, great. I get to go and hang out with four guys I had no intention of hanging out with. I would have rather just stayed at my hotel. <laughs> and these guys started taking me around Islamabad, showing me, like, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut. And I'm thinking to myself, I came all the way to the other side of the planet to see home restaurants. That's not at all what I wanted to do. But one thing I noticed was there was all these lines of dudes. There was no girls out. I mean, it's nighttime, but there was no girls anywhere. And my exact words were, this place is kind of a cock fest. Where the the hell are all the girls? And the guy said, yeah, we're looking for one. I'm like, yeah, well, we should look for a bunch of them. Where are they? They're like, well, when we find one, we're going to have fun with her. And I come to find out that these guys were idea of showing me a good time was trying to find a girl out after dark. So that we could all gang rape her. This is that's, not a joke. Geez, not a that's joke. Horrible, horrible. That's fucking. It was fucking terrible. I thought they were kidding. I had no idea these guys were serious, and I come because I didn't know the culture at the time. Women out after dark in Pakistan. Guys think it's their duty to to rape them and do whatever they want with them. So these guys' idea of showing. I mean, this is my first fucking day in Pakistan, and this is what I'm being. Had we found a girl, we would not have done anything to her. I guarantee you, I would not have let that happen. But. Now I just want to get away from these guys. But I, you know, I play the friendly guy. We go and uh, they just keep showing me places. The guys do a deal, which I thought at first was a drug deal, but it wasn't. It was an alcohol deal because alcohol is illegal in, 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 that, in Muslim countries. So one guy comes running out with like a bag and I'm like, what did you guys get? Did you guys get uh, marijuana? They're like, no, we, <laughs> and it was just a beer. They, <laughs> it was just a beer. It was, we go to a park. These guys drink. I don't drink. But I'm there telling jokes and just keeping the night friendly. They finally drive me back to my hotel. And the next morning, whatever I had drunk the day before, I drank some water and out of a pitcher. I should not have done that. I should have gotten bottled water. It, it hit me. I'm sick for the next few days. I don't leave my, I don't leave my room until uh, Thursday afternoon because I'm shitting everywhere. My, my stomach's going crazy. The water just it, it was killing me. Thursday afternoon, it's February. 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Um, I go for a jog and then I go find some food and I'm drinking nothing but sodas because I'm not taking a chance on the water. I can't wait to get out of this damn country. I'm counting the seconds. Friday morning hat comes and my flight, I got an early morning flight. So I, was, I remember being around 6.30, 6.40 and no one showed up yet. And I, I stay up. I stay up most of the night just watching the TV that I had in my room. Their HBO has commercials on it, by the way, which is weird. I was like, why does HBO have commercials on it? But I'm watching movies from the 80s, Citizen Kane and whatnot. And this is like top of the line movies at the time over there. It's... Finally, my phone rings uh, at the hotel and it's the it's it's Ray's contact. It's one of Ray's contacts. It's not two of them, just one of them. He tells me to come down. I go, no, I got to go through everything. You got to bring it up first. He brings up one suitcase. And this was this is what started triggering alarms because normally I would have two huge suitcases that would weigh down my shoulders and I have to pay extra money at the airport because it weighed too much. But this time he brings up one suitcase and I'm thinking like Ray's getting screwed over somehow. So I call Ray from the hotel, tell him, Hey, what why is it just one suitcase? Is this okay? He goes, Yeah, it's the first time, which you know, it's a it's a practice we're seeing it's a it's it's the first time. There's nothing to worry about. 
So actually, instead of being like concerned, I'm actually happy because now I don't have to carry all this luggage and I get to save money at the airport. And so I'm just, I'm happy that it's only one suitcase. They take me to the airport. Guys give me hugs. Pakistani people at the time were, were, were big huggers, you know. So everyone's giving me a hug. They said, next time you come back, we're going to show you around. We're going to get you girls. And I'm humoring them. I'm like, sure, next time. I had no intention of ever going back to Pakistan because that country sucks. I get to the – and it's, it's bright and early in the morning. I get to the, I get into the long line for international departures, and I'm, I'm at the back of this long, long line, but I'm standing out because I'm like six inches taller than the average person there. The – the guards up at the front who are doing, who are checking all the luggage, someone sees me and signals me to the front. So I'm like, yes, pays to be an American. I go wandering up to the front. The guy uh, goes through my luggage. Everything's fine. I'm about, I'm about to go through the metal detectors when someone else grabs my arm. I look around, I turn around. He goes, are you carrying narcotics? I said, check it again. You know, he takes the suitcase that I was there. I was hired there to come get, opens it up and throws all the leather all the leather clothing onto the floor right there. I'm like, hey, fucker, you know, because I'm there for the leather goods. And I'm, I'm, I'm pissed off this guy's disrespecting my stuff like that. So he takes that suitcase off somewhere else. I'm there in the middle of the floor. All the clothes have just been thrown on the ground, and I'm folding them up, you know, nicely. And I get taken into another room. This is embarrassing. And I tell the guys, look, I don't care about that suitcase. You just give me another suitcase for the goods because that's what I'm there for. Time's going by, and I'm worried about missing my fucking flight. Well, people start to fill up out outside the uh, the office that they have me in. I can see them in the hallways because there's 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 glass walls in the office that I'm in. Well, finally, the guy that had grabbed my arm and asked me if I was carrying narcotics comes back into the room, and he's followed by a guard that's holding these. Uh, it always reminded me of like newspapers because they were really thin, like newspapers, but they were sealed. And I remember, you know, they were they were like brownish green. And he says to me, "Because what is this?" And I said, he's the one holding it. Like, I have no idea what the fuck it is. That guy's the one holding it. He said, this is opium. And I said, why are you showing me this? He says, because it came out of your luggage. And immediately, I immediately knew, knew that I had been screwed. I knew that I was such an idiot. And two plus two became four very quickly. People ask me, did you think that they just, you know, were trying to single you out and put it on? No, no. Everything that was said to me was too good to be true. The, the job was too good to be true. And the saddest thing about and I just, you know, I was really, I just felt hurt. I felt betrayed. And I said something that you should never have to say when you're on vacation. I said, I need to speak with the American embassy. And the guy who had grabbed me and who told me that it was opium, he goes, embassy can't help you. We're going to hang you after five o'clock prayer. He said it just so matter of factly. And I, I freaked out. I panicked. I started bulldozing like uh, the guards started trying to grab me because they saw that i was starting to panic and that wasn't that wasn't a, that wasn't okay with me and i started throwing people over the desk i started bulldozing people i bulldozed my way out of that that room down the hallway someone lit up the whole hallway with other people in it too i don't know if they were shooting at the air or whatnot because i didn't look behind me i just hit the deck and i barricaded myself in another office on at the at the end of the hallway I threw the desk, I threw the filing cabinets, I threw everything in front of the door. There was no windows in that office, though. And all I was doing that day, they said I was trying to escape. I wasn't trying to escape. I mean, if I knew then what I knew now, yeah, I would have escaped. I wouldn't have gone on the fucking trip, but I wasn't trying to escape. My simple goal that day was to find a phone. I was just figuring if I'm going to die that day, I might as well make my life worth something. And I wanted to warn the others because other people were making these trips. I didn't want other people... Everyone needed needed to know. That's all I wanted to do was warn the others. 
I'm in that I'm in that office for about 40 minutes. No one could come in. I can't go anywhere. Finally, I hear a banging on the door, and it's an American accent. And and I hear, you wanted to speak to an American? I said, are you from the embassy? And they said, DEA. And they said, you want to come out and talk? I said, they they said they're going to shoot. They, they said they're going to hang me. He spoke to somebody in a, in Urdu, and he says they were kidding. I oh wow. Here they were. Here I am, a 21 year old. Here I am, 21 years old, and I just been told I'm going to get hung, and it was a it was a fucking joke. So he, the DEA says, "Do you want to talk to us?" I said, "Yes, I absolutely want to talk to you guys. I mean, I want to tell you guys everything, 100." percent I get led to a different part of the uh, the airport by all the guards and I get sat in a room with uh, the three DEA agents and one Pakistani man whose office it obviously was. And the DEA agents just start bombarding me with all these questions. And halfway through an answer, they start asking me another question and I'll be halfway through that answer when another DEA agent will try to get me with another question. And obviously nothing I'm saying is, is, is being believed by any of these guys. Like one guy's like, how long, because are you a drug addict? How long have you been using? I go, I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I don't drink. And, one, and then another guy would be like, come on, everyone smokes marijuana. And I'm like, no, that's just you. And the other guy goes, well, where do you go after this? After this, I go to uh, U of A, then Heathrow, then Stockholm. And, and, and another guy's like, well, those are all drug drug routes. And I'm like, is every country a drug route? I don't get it. And, and no one was believing anything out of my mouth. So I tell him, look, I understand. I'm fucked. I get that. Okay. But other people are making these trips. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Give me that at least. And and didn't check up, but you got to warn them. So one guy says, well, we're going to absolutely go through all your uh, information. You can believe that. But if you don't help us, we can't help you. And they they, they wanted to know who, who I bought the drugs from, uh, how much I plan on selling them for. I gave them all of Ray's information. I gave them my mother's information. I'm like, call them. I gave them the gym's information. I gave them a few other phone numbers of people who were making these trips as well. The DEA just ended up being absolutely useless. They 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 were making fun of my situation. Um, they they called me a punk because I was I was upset. I was upset and I was uh, I was being a smart ass. Yes, I was being a smart ass, but I was pissed off because I was innocent and I didn't fucking belong there. So yes, I was being a I wasn't being I was scared, but I was also when I get scared, I get get loud, I get mad, and I become a smart ass. Well, when I was let out of that airport that day, I got hit with a rifle right in front of those dudes. I got hit with a rifle right in front of those guys, and I got brought to this customs lockup. And at the customs lockup, they put me in a room with a bunch of other Pakistani dudes, and I was fighting from, like, the get-go. They had to put me in my own cell after that because they couldn't put me in with the with these other dipshits who I was fighting. And the girl from the embassy with a, Pakistan, with a, with a Pakistani interpreter comes to the customs lockup. Her name was Christy Agor, and she says to me, uh, you, you American and I was, and, and me being the dipshit I am, I go, well, if I'd known I was going to see someone so pretty, I would have gotten arrested years ago. Um, not the best line to use at this point, Eric. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't, but that's my sense of humor in the back. Right. Situation. I know. I know you. I know. I'm, I'm thinking because I'm innocent that my mom's going to get me out of here within like hours, if not hours, maybe a few days. So you might as well enjoy it while you can, because there's no way they're going to keep me in jail. Well, she actually started laughing and she goes, well, he's from California. All right. And she asked and she asked me, she goes, you don't have to talk to us. I'm like, I absolutely want to talk to you. And I give her all the information. Just call my mom. She'll tell you everything. She'll tell you exactly what my job is. And then I, after that, that night, the, the entire night, I don't get any sleep whatsoever because all I hear is screams all night long because the guards of the customs lockup are torturing prisoners all around me. They're not torturing me because I still have to be presented in front of the lower court magistrate to decide what to do with me. 
but I hear nothing but screams and just loud hits on feet and chains. And it's, it's really sad. And it's starting to like, it's starting to really settle, settle in like, wow, this is really happening. I thought I'd be, I, I thought I would have been out of here by now. I thought the embassy would have gotten me out of here by now. The next morning, bright and early, I'm presented in front of a magistrate in the lower court and everything's being done in her due. Now the girl from the embassy, she's not, she's just there to observe. But whatever happened, she started. She she didn't. She when they were about to lead me away, she stopped them and she started talking to the judge in Urdu, and the judge had had him bring me back, and then uh, then then he signed off orders and I was leaving. I asked her what's happening. He goes, she says the judge wanted ten days. I got you three, and I and I go ten days of what? It was physical remand. Basically, they figure if you're not going to tell them the truth, they're going to beat it out of you. So Christy Agor did me a huge solid. She got me. Um, she got. <laughs> She got me seven days less of torture. That's um, big. That's big that, when you think about it. That was huge. It was yeah. huge. But at the time, me being a, a stocky idiot, me, uh, when so Eric, talk, Eric, but, I'm sorry because I'm sorry because we only, we only have like another 10, 10 to twelve minutes for the show. Oh, but geez. I wanted no, no, it's okay because everything you're saying is so compelling and fascinating. But can I can I hit you with some key questions because I don't want uh, you to tell the entire you know. Your documentary is so compelling, so full of information, um, and it's it's something that I think people should watch. Personally, I believe it. People have to realize that yeah, life is beautiful, life is wonderful, but look how fast it can change. You know, by mistakes that are made. However, you want to put out that scenario, but just 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 to take because I want to ask you some key questions here. When you were given those 10 days. When was the time when you went in front of the magistrate and they sentenced you and you actually went to jail? Like, did you endure those three days of torture and yes. then you were sentenced? Uh, no, uh, I, I endured those three days of torture. Um, I, I, was, I was arrested on February 15th. Um, I started, I was presented in front of the magistrate on February 16th and I was immediately taken to get tortured for three days. So I got tortured this, uh, that Saturday that Sunday and that Monday. On Tuesday, I was present. Um, I was brought to the prison, and that's so. I had a whole day to. I had a whole whole night to rest, and then I was brought to prison. I spent my first five days in Kasuri in prison, um, and I wasn't. Uh, they brought. They put me on death row because because it was the safest place for me. It took me off of death row after nine and a half months. Because a new superintendent came in and didn't understand why I was on death row from the previous superintendent, but they kept me un- isolated from the rest of the prison because someone put a five thousand rupee bounty on my head, and people kept trying to collect it. I got hit with rakes, I got stabbed, I got in more fights than I could ever count. Um, and was that five? Was that five thousand to kill you or yes. to hurt you? To no, kill you? To kill me? And to who put me. that? Who put that out? Who put out the uh, the bounty? I, I never learned. I never learned. Well, the man that got you involved in all this, this man that's notoriously named uh, Raznik, Raznik, well, Raznik. I knew him as Ray Gazarian, but it turned out his real name was Raznik Manassian. Right. Now, do you think he was behind any of that? And no, he had no, no. I mean, he was back in America. I mean, you'd have to have some crazy connections. I mean, actually, no, I never thought of that. That'd be crazy if he was. Well, you never know. You know, you never know. I just threw that out there. But, you know, you were beat daily. There was one point. That you thought of suicide because the pain was so bad. The guards literally uh, beat and broke each of your fingers individually at that time. If I remember this from the from the film that I was watching, um, well, that happened to me. But the reason, the only reason I thought of suicide though, was because my ears, my ears, my both my eardrums were popped from uh, 
the fungus that had grown in them, and the embassy doctors sent these quack doctors that popped my eardrums. So oh, I had geez. the worst, most excruciating earaches. And you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't do anything when your ears just won't stop gnawing on the inside of your head. It's just constant pain. You can't even you can't you can't even suffer in peace. There's it's that's the only time I ever thought about suicide. It's horrible. And then you know then it went on to other things where. The first man, well, let me say that you wound up killing a man. You had to snap his neck in a yard because he just tried to stab you out of nowhere. He had no idea who he was. He just came at you. Uh, you go on to talk about many of the things in here. You know, I want to touch on a couple subjects. One main thing, you know, bless your mom, Eric. Your mom stood by. Your mom fought to get you out of there every every single way that they could. Uh, the politician from New Mexico, please, I forget his name real quick. The gentleman yeah, in no. the... Bill, Bill Richardson. Yeah, Bill Richardson. Who's, who's, I've met him, and I'm sorry I forgot his name there for a second. Amazing guy. He definitely tries to help people whenever he can. He's and great. He's great. And just to watch how your mother handled this, how he stepped up. Obviously, this is a long, long period. How long were you in the Pakistani prison? What was the actual tally of days? Uh, two years, 10 months, 15 days. So when you're finally released... Right. And you wind up doing a civil lawsuit against this Raisnik character where you're awarded a civil lawsuit settlement of twenty point four million dollars, of which to date, have you ever seen a dollar of that money? I've never seen a dollar from from that money or anything. I've never been compensated for anything that ever happened to me. Nothing at all. Not from the U.S. government, not from anybody. No. Crazy. No, I'm not saying the government owes you any money because you were arrested and, you know, whatever happened over there. But it's just you go through all this torture, all this loss, mentally, physically, everything, and then you have nothing to show for it. But what you do have to show for it is, I have to say, going through that ordeal, many ordeals, the strength that you gathered from it, the intestinal fortitude you gathered from it, the, the shaping of your personality to become a strong individual. I mean, I don't know if there's anything that could break you after this, is there? I mean, you've been through everything. Is there anything that you're scared of right now in life? It's just a standard question, or is it like you're just there to deal with whatever? Am I scared of anything? No. Um, I, all I all I, all I do now is just try to look at the positive of everything. I, if I lose a huge poker tournament, or I lose all my money, or my restaurants close, or you know, I don't get what that job I was promised, or you know, I, I don't care anymore. I, I'm just happy. I'm just trying to. My goal. Every day is to get through each day as easily as possible. I simply want to be happy. I want to be kinder. I want to help others. And I, you know, I understand that everything in my life is amazing in its own way now. Um, nothing, nothing scares me. I'm, I'm dealing with, uh, and I told you yesterday, I'm dealing with a, a nice little cancer scare right now. And right, sorry it, about that. Know, it doesn't scare me. It just makes me a little sad knowing that my time is probably uh, limited. But also at the end of the day, you know, I, it could always be worse, though, because there's people who, you know, they go to a concert a year ago and, and they, they're there to have a good time and their their lives are cut short because of some deranged madman. You're right about that, Eric. But also you could have never made it back from Pakistan and you made it back and you're here. And every day living through it the way you say to just get through every day smoothly, I can thoroughly appreciate and understand that. You know, I, I think about all the years I've known you and our interactions together, and I think about some of our conversations in the past, and I actually have a whole different outlook on you now, Eric, and it's just one of tremendously more respect than I had before. Um, but I think our conversations in the future when we get together are going to be even more interesting because I know you more 
not just because of you as a man, but because of how this three-year ordeal basically shaped you into the man that you are today. You know, one of the things that we share is poker. And um, in the movie, it talks about how you first played poker in the Pakistani prison on death row with your friend Malad, who was in jail for killing uh, family members, if I'm not correct, of his that killed his wife in a very horrific situation. No, they killed his mother and his sister. His mother and his sister, excuse me. It was horrible. God, the way they killed them, too. You don't need to explain it. It was horrible. People, you got to watch this documentary. Again, to remind you, the name of the documentary, uh, real quickly, is Three Years in Pakistan, The Eric Audet Story. Okay, and uh, real quick, while I said that, tell them where they can watch it. I want to go with more questions, but tell them where they can watch it, please, Eric. You can, you, uh, well, iTunes is a popular platform. You can go on Amazon. You can go on your smart TV. Just look up Three Years in Pakistan, the Eric I. Day story. It should pop up. Um, it's also playing at the Lemley right now in North Hollywood until Thursday night. I'm doing a Q&A on Wednesday and Thursday at 710 showing. So if someone wants to come and watch it at the Lemley in North Hollywood, I'll be there. Um, but they can get it off of their, their tablet, their PC. Just go on iTunes, go on Amazon, look it up in your search engines, wherever you might be in the world, and it should pop up three years in Pakistan, the Eric Ade story. And Ade is spelled A-U-D-E, folks, A-U-D-E. And um, Eric is spelled E-R-I-K. Right. No, there we go. Got to get it both. E-R-I-K, E-R-I-K-A-U-D-E, Eric Ade. Now, you know, one of the things that I can just imagine, you you, you were – you were explaining it, describing it. I couldn't help but envision it. The delights of simple things that you experience once you're released, whether it was a bathroom with a toilet, a bed with sheets, a bed, uh, food. And the one big thing you pointed out was ice water. You love ice water more than anything. Yeah. No, These ice are- water is gold. Ice water is gold. I always order ice water and – I love it. I never, I can never get enough of it. And, you know, I tell them to bring pitchers. <laughs> People tell me there's nothing to drink. I go, hey, ice water or just water. Just yeah, water. Yeah, it's a simple pleasure you didn't have at your, at your immediate disposal the whole time you were there. Getting back to the poker thing, you learn how to play Texas Hold'em in, in uh, prison. Okay. You're, I know you're an extremely good poker player. You've been to my home games. We've, you know, played each other in tournaments. Uh, then you go to Hollywood Park Casino when you're back, which is a local casino here near me that we played at together. You start with $50. You win $2,600 that night, and that helped get you going, didn't it? That helped get you some purpose in life, get back on the road, because you're actually a very successful man. Aside from your stunt work that you do, which you're still very active in, uh, tell us about your restaurants. You opened up restaurants. You play poker. I mean, you have shaped quite a nice life for yourself um, after this horrific situation. No, yeah, no, I've been very lucky. I, uh, I I travel the world with my girlfriend, and I I invest in movies. I I make a lot of bad investments, but I'm able to make these bad investments. I'm uh, I'm able, but you know, I have fun all the time. I've I've invest. I had at one point invested in eight different restaurants around L.A., but we've since had to close three of them. Um, I, uh, they were called Big Wangs, Stout, Loaded, and Tipsy Cow. Uh, there's still five around town. So if you're around town, go support them. Um, but I'm also investing in different movies. I'm, I'm producing movies with Brookwell McNamara. We're doing Trinity. We bought the, the rights for Leon Uris's story, Trinity. Uh, we're doing Reagan later on this, uh, either later this year or early next year with, uh, Dennis Quaid. Um, I'm, I'm stunt doubling one of the leads on the new show Mayans. We just got picked up for a season two yesterday and I do all the motorcycle riding for the show out. I also play a small reoccurring character throughout, uh, and I, I, I play poker mostly at least twice a week 
still to this day, I have a tournament poker and I, I help, I, I help host a, a slew of different animal charities. You know, you know, we're both friends with, uh, Sammy Phillips and I help out with her charity every August, right. uh, the vice is nice charity. And, uh, the, the last charity I saw you at, the the one at Paramount, I won it. And, uh, Oh, you did. You won that night. Cause I left before it was over. Oh, that's yeah, great. You, you left before it was over, but I won the trip to Hawaii. It was great. Yeah. So I'm going to Hawaii and with my girlfriend in uh, January and I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that the cancer treatment starts to, to work and that I'll be here for a long time. Eric, right, so you told me, you told me about the, congratulations on the trip, by the way. That was a great trip. I was looking forward to winning it myself. I was chip leader for a while there, but we both know how things can change <laughs> suddenly in poker. Um, yes, they can. Yes, they can. Just like in life, like we're discussing. Yes, they can. Eric, the cancer that you have that you're, de- that you're dealing with right now, it seems like you're always up against the odds because this is a cancer that is a very rare cancer that one in 12 million people uh, could possibly get, and you drew the luck card of the one. Um, I know you're fighting this now. I can't, I can't give you any more encouragement and strength and support than I possibly can say on this call. I'm there for you all the time with a call or whenever, but you're a warrior. You're a true warrior in life. You proved it. Uh, you're fighting again for everything you can have in your life. Uh, the story's fascinating. I encourage everybody to look at this and take a shot at three years in Pakistan, the Eric O'Day story. It's fascinating. It's compelling. It's a story about life. It's a story about struggle. It's a story about perseverance and inner strength. And it's a story about family because I have to say it again. Bless your mom, Eric, your mom. And I'm very close with my mom. And I was watching it with your mom, and when you got off that plane and she saw you for the first time, the tears came out of my eyes, Eric. It was a very emotional experience to watch that. It really was. Thank you. I really appreciate hearing that. Yeah, I just uh, I can't say enough. But, uh, Eric, I'm sorry. As it stands in life, we only have so much time in life. And then we've got we got you know, to segment our situations here. So please tell our listeners, international listeners, how to get a hold of you, anything you want to say, grab this moment for yourself and just tell us whatever you need to tell before we sign off. Yeah, I got, hey guys, I promise you, if you watch my documentary, you will just appreciate life that much more. It'll, it'll help you see that the little things all around you matter and are a lot more luxurious than you ever could have hoped for. And if you watch it, find me on Instagram at Eric Day or E-R-I-K-A-U-D-E or on Twitter at Eric Day and and tell me what you thought about it. If you have any questions, I'll, I'll answer them. Uh, go see this documentary and then go give your family members a hug and just learn to let the little things go. You have it better than you realize, and no matter how bad it gets, it could always be worse. Absolutely true. And if you've ever seen, have you has your documentary or your story been compared to the uh, story Midnight Express at all? Do you get that a lot? Many, many, many times. <laughs> well, for those of you who see Midnight Express, see three years in Pakistan, the Eric O'Day story that takes it to another level. That's all I can tell you. It's it's just it's incredible. Eric, thank you for coming on the show. Sincerely. Yeah. Thank you for uh, having me, brother. I really appreciate oh, you. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm gonna have a game in a few weeks. I'll give you a call and see if you want to come down, okay? I'm I'm there. You let me know when and where. Uh, all right, this. Eric. You take care, uh, my friend, and best of luck. Sir. Best of luck, best wishes. My prayers are with you. My support is with you. Take care of business, my friend. You're a warrior. Knock them all down. Knock them all down. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to DeSantisProd at gmail.com.
Total Wine and More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities, up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. Total Wine and More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities, up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply.